Everybody say praise the Lord. You may be seated for right now. It's been way too long since I've been here. And it's not your pastor's fault. He's invited me many times. And the reason I haven't been here is not because I didn't want to be. Sometimes it's difficult to make everything happen that you want to happen or think ought to happen. And I didn't realize how long it was until I got here and looked at these kids that are now young adults <laughs> the last time I was here. And uh, that kind of puts things into perspective. And uh, a lot of you have grown up. Some of you that were young adults the last time I was here are getting dangerously close to middle age. <laughs> and that's as far as I'm going to go down that road because if I start talking about those of you that were middle age, <laughs> Amen. But, uh, it, is a, it is a privilege to be here. And uh, my apologies for it taking me so long to get back. your pastor and his family and uh, been close to his daughters and then as they a couple of them at least went out and found him a man that kept dragging him home and then added to the, the uh, quiver and uh, began to fill up uh, their husband's quiver and, and grandpa's quiver and all of that love and appreciate these kids and their families and the Riggins are good people and I love them very, very much. And my my wife, Sister Riggin, sent special apologies. She couldn't be here. In a way, it's probably my fault. And that being that uh, I don't always ask her, can I go or not? Get her approval before I set my schedule. Seriously, what I was going to say before I started trying to be silly with it is uh, I don't always do a good job of letting her know my schedule in time for her to respond. And she has um, a special ladies outing at our home this Saturday. And we literally tried to find flights where she could come and be with us at least a couple of days, fly back home, but they just couldn't get her there. Anyway, we finally abandoned that idea. We worked on it several times, even worked on it again last night, and we just couldn't make it happen. But she'll be with me next time I come. God willing. Amen. Everybody say praise the Lord. Amen. How many of you are happy tonight? Amen. God's people are happy people. Amen. I don't know how to relate to this long-faced Christianity. Amen. I really don't. Because, you know, the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. Now, look at some of us. You might think it was. <laughs> but there's more to it than that. It's righteousness, peace, and joy. Everybody say joy in the Holy Ghost. Amen. A little song we sing when I was a kid. The world can't give it to me. And the world can't take it away. This joy that I have. 
circumstances can't give it to you. So therefore, circumstances can't take it away. And in the lowest point of your life, in the darkest hour of the night, when nothing else is right, God is still right. And the joy of the Lord, we can still experience it. Amen. The darkest trial of your life. Amen. So if you'd like to stand, we'll uh, go to the word of the Lord to a very... Two very familiar verses of Scripture. One's in the Old Testament, the book of Proverbs, chapter 29, verse number 18. Proverbs, chapter 29, verse 18. Then we'll also be looking in the book of John, chapter 4, and verse number 35. Book of Proverbs, chapter 29, verse 18. Where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Where there is no vision, the people perish. John 4, and verse number 35. Won't you see if you can, as I read this, if you can see what the connection is between these two verses of Scripture. First, we're talking about where there's no vision, people perish. In John 4, 35, Jesus said to his disciples, and it's in the form of a question, say not ye, or is this not what you say? There are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields. For they are white, already to harvest. Both verses of Scripture are talking about the ability to see. But both of them are specifying a certain type of seeing. And in the first one, it's talking about understanding. And in the second one, again, it's talking about you're looking and you're seeing, but you're not seeing really what I want you to see. So I need you to shift your perspective just a little bit. Amen. You're kind of looking down. Let's look up just a little bit. And look on the fields for they are white already to harvest. So if the Lord will help us here for the next little while, we want to talk on this subject. Jesus is the answer. How many believe Jesus is the answer? Amen, amen, amen. Praise God. Let's love the Lord together. Lord, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your touch, for your help, for your anointing, your very present help in time of need. God, we know that you're going to come, that you're going to help us. Let your anointing come. Open our understanding. Oh, move upon our hearts to be obedient and responsive to your word. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Praise God. God bless you. You can be seated. Amen. I feel a good spirit in this place tonight. And I believe the Lord is going to come and minister to us and help us. And uh, uh, I'll say a little bit more later, but uh, your pastor has ministered our church 
several times here lately and just been such a blessing. And uh, I know he was gone for a few days and preaching for us. I don't know if you missed any services at home or not. I don't think you did, but uh, we appreciate his ministry and his love for truth and godliness. Amen. Everybody say praise the Lord. How many of you love Jesus? How many of you love your pastor? How many of you love your brothers and sisters in the church? Amen. That's all very, very important. Very, very important. Amen. All right. In this first text, in the book of Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18, it begins by saying, Where there is no vision, the people perish. And I have preached before from this same verse of Scripture. And the word that is translated here in our King James Version as vision, in some other translations, the word is used uh, where there is no revelation. And revelation is speaking about insight and understanding. And in the latter part of this verse of Scripture, it refers to the law of God. But he that keepeth the law... Happy is he. It's difficult to keep a law of which you have no understanding or insight or revelation. When something does not make sense to us, we tend to resist it. And when a law seems unfair or unjust or unnecessary then it's difficult for us to really, from the heart, obey that. And so, it's very, very important. It's important to God, and it must be important to us that we receive a revelation, an insight, a spiritual understanding that comes from divine wisdom of the things which God requires of us to do. And when we get that, then we understand what it means that his commandments are not grievous. Whenever we find it difficult to obey the word of God and to do the will of God, then it's a grievous thing. But whenever we have revelation, amen, we keep the law of God and people that keep the law of God with understanding are happy people. Amen, amen, amen. Praise God. And that's a very good study in and of itself. But there is more to this verse of Scripture than just talking about revelation of the law. This revelation is bigger than that. Because this word that we interpret as vision can mean either mental sight or image, a dream, a revelation, or an oracle. And so I want to look at something that goes just a little beyond this. As we read here, where there's no vision, people perish. If you do not get a revelation of truth, you will perish. When you get a revelation of truth, you obey it. Amen. When you obey from the heart the gospel, Paul said that I that I preached to you. You obeyed it from the heart. 
Why? Because God gave you an understanding. God gave you a revelation of your sinfulness. And you also received a revelation of his ability to cleanse you and forgive you and set you free. Amen. That's what brought you into relationship with him. But there's a lot more to living for God than just the initial plan of salvation. There's many, many components to maturing and growing in the the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And as we understand and receive the word of the Lord, and listen, I'm I'm dealing with something here that I intend to talk about, but it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. But whenever something is preached, and uh, I think when a person has a willing heart, there's a readiness to obedience, and, and uh, I, I believe that it's, it's proper, it's right to obey without a revelation. We expect our children to do that. Amen. They don't understand that playing in the street could have serious consequences. But we teach them to obey, and as they get older, as they mature, everybody say mature, as they grow older, then they begin to understand how important it is to not play in the street. Because as parents, we have directed. There's many things worth the Lord. You don't necessarily need some great shining light from heaven telling you to obey something that's written in the word of the Lord. But for that to really uh, produce in your life what it's supposed to produce and bring you to the place you, you need to come, you need to obey. If you don't understand, it's in the Bible. I'm going to do it. But then be praying for revelation. And everybody say, praise the Lord. That, that's really how we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So, we understand now where a person has to have an insight, an understanding, a revelation of their need of God. And they've got to have at least enough revelation, understanding of the gospel to realize that the gospel is my answer. Amen. If I will obey the gospel, I can take care of this sin problem. All right? Everybody say praise the Lord. And those that cannot receive that will perish. Amen. Because there's only one way to be saved. That's the obedience to the gospel. And those that do not obey the gospel, where there's no revelation, where there's no vision, people perish. But when people get an understanding, get revelation, they keep the law. They're happy. Amen. In their obedience, in their compliance, in their walking uh, in, in the grace of God. And then, but there's another side of this. This is where I want to go with this tonight. This other just for you to, uh, just to chew on a little bit. And, uh, and maybe the Lord will help you uh, with some things you've been struggling with. But I want, to, I want to look at another side of this. And that is this. Where there is no vision or understanding that the gospel is not just for me, but it's for others. And where I do not have a revelation that God has given to me with my call to salvation, a charge, a commission, a job for me to do, and that is to take what I have received a revelation of and take 
make it to those that do not have that revelation. So let's expand this a little bit further. If I have the truth and I keep it to myself and I do not share it with others that need salvation, then they perish. God did not commission angels to preach the gospel. He commissioned you and I. And so we have this truth. In the book of Romans chapter 1, it talks about those that hold the truth in unrighteousness. Now I know that can mean people that know the truth, but they're living ungodly lives. But I'm going to tell you what, it's an unrighteous thing to have the truth and hold it to yourself and not share it with somebody else. Even in our, in our world that we live, in, in society, in our, in our system of laws and government, it is, it is expected of us to attempt to give aid and assistance to those that are in distress and need. If somebody's been seriously injured in an accident, you may not know first aid, you may not know uh, a lot of things or have equipment to do what needs to, uh, uh, everything that needs to be done, but, but you need to put forth a valiant effort to help that person be saved or rescued. If you can't do it, try to find somebody that can. Try to get some assistance. I mean, understand that, that there's laws that regulates that. And, and that's just to save natural life and human life. And I'm going to tell you what a greater responsibility we have to share this truth with others who do not have it. The future of this church, the church of Jesus Christ in general, this local church here, is we've got to take this gospel and we've got to do something with it. Everybody say praise the Lord. I really, 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 really am hoping and praying that tonight God's going to open our understanding and give us a greater understanding and appreciation, amen, for the, for, for the role that we play in being labors together with God, reaching out to the lost. Amen. Somebody say praise the Lord. And so, when those of us that have a revelation on truth, and we do nothing to evangelize, to reach out to those that are lost, then they that would be saved will perish. Let me just, I don't feel like going real fast right now. I'm just going to take my time for a few minutes. Let, let, me, let me see if we can go a step further beyond this. And we all cherish the revelation that we have of God. I'm telling you, I told my church last night, I absolutely love everything there is about truth. I love, I love the, I, I, I love the, uh, the revelation of the plan of salvation. I don't have any problem with Acts two thirty. I love repentance. I love baptism in Jesus' name. I love. I love the infilling of the Holy Ghost. I like talking in tongues. I like the fruit of the Spirit. Amen. I, I like the gifts of the Spirit. I, I like the fivefold ministry. I like uh, the saints. I, I, I like foot washing and communion. I love holy. 
holiness. Amen. This, this message of separation doesn't intimidate me or bother me or eat on me. I love it. Amen. It's a good way to walk. And, and I, I love everything about the truth. Amen. I love the uh, understanding, revelation of one God. Amen. That in Jesus Christ dwells all the fullness of the Godhead uh, uh, completely in him. In him dwells all the fullness of Godhead. And, uh, and I, I'm happy about that. And so uh, this is a good thing. Revelation is a good thing. But I'm going to show you tonight that you cannot separate revelation from commission to evangelize. Amen. They're, they go together. You can't separate the two. And so in our second text here, in John the fourth chapter, Jesus is responding to his disciples after they have returned from fulfilling a little errand that he sent them on. And this is a, quite a story here of what took place. And I'm sure that most of you tonight are aware of the fact that, uh, that uh, the Samaritans, which were, were half Israelite and, and half heathen nations around uh, Israel, and uh, these people during the, the captivity, when Judah was carried captive into Babylon uh, by the Assyrians, when they were, when they were carried abroad, during that 70 years, those that remained in the land did not hold true to the faith of their fathers. They did not practice uh, the law. They didn't make sacrifices. They, uh, it, it all fell into disarray. And, uh, and they began to marry uh, other people around them that God had forbidden them to marry because this was his chosen people. He wanted a, a clean bloodline that he could uh, follow down through the righteous line until the birth of Jesus Christ. And so these mixed-blooded people, uh, when, when the remnant came home and when they rebuilt the temple and when they rebuilt the walls and when they reestablished the priesthood and they began to offer sacrifices again and, and they began to uh, practice the law of God, got this group of Samaritans over here that first of all by, by the law itself were not qualified to be worshiping in the temple secondly they had taken their knowledge of truth and intermingled it with the heathen religions of these people around them that's the very thing God was trying to avoid when he told them not to marry with these other people he did not want them adopting their idolatrous practices and ways but that's what they had done so they had a they had the, a hodgepodge of religion. It had some aspects of truth in it, but it had a lot of paganism in it, and it was all mixed together. And it was the religion of the Samaritans, and they had a, a different mountain that they worshipped on, and and, and just uh, there was a lot of problems, and and so there was uh, there was bad blood between the Jews and the Samaritans, and so when Jesus came and. Uh, and he is the word made flesh. And, and he came to seek and save that which was lost. And, and in his desire to bring salvation to all races of people, uh, he, he came first of all to his own. His own received him not, but to as many as received him. To them gave him power to become the sons of God. And he began to reach out to others. In this fourth chapter, John begins that Jesus uh, must needs go through Samaria. And so, as we look at that, we realize that somehow or another, 
uh, the city in Samaria was on God's agenda. And, and although there were other routes that Jesus could have taken to get to where he was going, uh, he felt uh, led by the spirit that indwelt him that he needed to go through Samaria. And uh, I'm going to tell you something. There, there's not a whole lot of accidents when it comes to the things of God. I just believe that God foreordains certain things to take place. And, and sometimes things that seem to be by chance or, or happenstance, God orchestrated it, especially for the people of God. Amen. There's, there, there's people sometimes that you meet in, in most unusual circumstances. And, and later you can look back and see God ordained that. God had his hand in it. Praise God. I believe there's opportunities every day that we come across if, if we're perceptive. Amen. That, that God allowed us to be at the right place at the right time. Amen. To be able to say a word. Amen. That could help somebody and could lead them. Amen. To salvation. And so uh, Jesus needed to go through Samaria. And so he, he comes to this city there in the land of the Samaritans called Sychar. And on the outskirts of that city was a well, and it was a famous well. It was a well that had been uh, dug by Jacob many, many centuries earlier, one of the patriarchs that uh, was one of the uh, patriarchs of the fathers of the, of the Jewish nation, but also uh, because of their... Uh, their ancestry, the Samaritans, uh, on, on the Jewish side, they could trace their ancestry back to Jacob, and they were proud of him as one of their patriarchs as well. And so Jesus stopped at the well. He was, he was tired, and he wanted to rest. And, uh, and he, I want you to catch this. He told his disciples, I want you to go into the city and purchase us something to eat. There was nothing abnormal about that assignment. Here's a city. Every city had a little market. You could buy just about anything you needed in that market for a price. They didn't pack food with them because they knew the route they were taking. There would be places to stop. And so, could we say that what they were doing was just a normal task. Nothing unusual. Amen. It's not a it's not an unusual thing for many of you to go by the grocery store. That's that's uh, on your list. That's uh, one of the things that some of you must do tomorrow. And because we're having church tomorrow night, uh, you normally buy groceries on Friday night. And so already thinking about, can I do this, or am I going to have to do it later? Are you with me? And so, when he sent them to the store, they never sensed anything great taking place. Uh, All they thought about, they was arguing about salami or bologna. As long as it's kosher salami. Kosher baloney. Can't have any pig in it. Or any such thing. And, and so on the way there, I, I can I can hear these disciples. They were all uh, pretty strong-minded people. And, uh, and I'm sure they had several discussions about what they were going to get when they got down there. One of them said, I want this kind of bread. And I said, oh, I like this bread. Well, 
and said, I was thinking about it. Anyway, they got it all worked out. And uh, it was a distasteful chore for them to do. You know why? They hated Samaritans. You listening to me? They didn't like them. And there was no love lost because this was the Samaritans' territory. I guarantee you, when they came in to this Samaritan town, and it was obvious by the way they dressed and the way they trimmed their hair, everything about them, their speech, their mannerisms, these are the hated Jews. And I'm sure that they didn't roll out a welcome mat. I don't think that the president of the local chamber of commerce came out and said, hey, we're glad you're here. Are you thinking about investing here or starting a business or buying a home or just exact? No, 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 no. They didn't get that kind of reception. They got heart, looks, and stares. And they might have gotten a few unkind words and insults from their direction. And, and, and having been in some of these situations, I just kind of think that maybe perhaps they might have got gouged on the price. They probably paid a little bit more for their baloney than what the one in front of them and the one behind them had to pay. Are you all with me? I, I had a very interesting trip a few years ago. It's probably been eight or ten years ago now, maybe, yeah, around ten years ago. My daughter married this guy, and he moved her off to Alabama, of all places, on the face of the earth. He moved her to Alabama. So we used to drive down to Alabama a lot to see first my daughter and son-in-law, and then later our first grandchild, uh, uh, Brooklyn. And so, uh, anyway... uh, on one of these trips, we also made a vacation out of it. Our youngest daughter, Bethany, went with us. And uh, we went by and saw Denise and James and the baby. And then Denise and the baby went with us, and we were headed on down to Florida. We went to, you know, Disney World and other places. And then on further down south, almost Miami, to reach for Brother John's down there. And uh, had a most unusual, disturbing experience. And I'm really glad it happened. I'm really glad it happened because it's given me a lot of understanding and insight. Now, everybody knows that there has been historically in America a lot of racial prejudice. Right? Not as bad as it used to be, but it's not as good as it could be. And, and so, anyway, we came to a town, and we were like the disciples. It, it was about time to eat, and we were hungry. And we pulled into this place here. It was a, it was a combination service station, and then they had a, a, a chicken restaurant, a, a, you know, a fast food chicken restaurant in there. And a lot of cars. It's a busy place. You know, that's, that's the place to go. It's busy. When it's lunchtime, and nobody's over here, that's not where you want to go eat. <laughs> And so we bought uh, gas, and we went inside, and there was 
this, and then there's a counter where you order your chicken. And uh, I felt like people were staring at me, and I started looking around. They were. And I got some hard looks, and I got some stares, and two people saying little stuff to each other. And I thought, man, I'm, I'm the only black person in here. But I don't have, I mean, I pastor a lot of blacks. I've got, uh, I've got a number of black people in my church, and good folks, people we've wanted to God through the years. i got a, a black minister that's uh, helping us start one of our outreaches, and, and uh, just just good, good folks. But, uh, you know, they didn't know that. <laughs> they, didn't know, they didn't know I didn't have any problem with blacks. And uh, so here's what happened. I got in line, and I waited till it came my turn, and uh, I said, I would like to have so-and-so, and I realized I was speaking to the hand. There was a, a young lady behind the counter, and she was looking my direction, but her eyes were not focused on me at all. And she asked the man standing behind me what he wanted, and he told her, and she just began to wait on him. I was the invisible man. I thought, oh, that's strange. So I just waited, and she got through him, and I said, I, and uh, I began to talk, and she, there's a little boy now next in line, and she spoke to the little boy, and she waited on him. And this happened about three or four times. I thought, wow, it's not the place for me to get mad and make a big scene right now. <laughs> and about that time, the lady that was taking care of the gas, she come around, she said, sir, come here. And I she said, I apologize for the way you're being treated. What do you want? I'll get it for you. And I told her, and she got it for me, and I paid and left. I'm telling you, I drove a long ways down the road in deep, deep thought. I wasn't angry. I wasn't hurt. I wasn't confused. I don't know tell you exactly how. But it was one of the strangest experiences. I began to think about a lot of things. And I thought, you know what? I think I have maybe just a little taste of maybe what these people have had to put up with in the past. Does that make sense to anybody? And I thought, you know, it feels terrible be treated as though you're a non-person. It feels terrible to be treated as though you have no worth or no value. Y'all listening to me? And I think that was a, I think that was a, I think the only word I can think of is an epiphany. That was a, a, a that was an experience that I'm really glad that I experienced, Pastor, because I began to realize that this world is filled with people. Sometimes it has to do with their ethnic background. Sometimes it has to do with their social level or strata. But there's a lot of people out there that feel just totally without value because of the way they are treated by other people. I think the term that we use a lot
lot of times are disenfranchised. And, and so, when the disciples went into Samaria, they were invading someone else's turf. And these people have the upper hand. And they can treat the Jews the way the Jews normally treated them. Are you all beginning to understand the setting here? And so, they're feeling animosity. And I don't have time, but I can tell you that some of these disciples were hotheads. Two of them were called sons of thunder. And on another occasion, if I had time, I can show you it's in your Bible. There were some Samaritans that rejected Jesus and wouldn't let him come into their village. And you know what the sons of thunder said? Let's just call fire down from heaven to consume all of them. Just the love of God was overflowing in their hearts. That's the first response. Talk about your first responders. Let's just nuke all of them. Shoot. God in heaven. Let fire fall and consume all of them. And Jesus told him, you don't know what spirit you're of. And then Peter was reputed to occasionally get into a little skirmish. And if he got upset enough, he might slice your ear off. But what he really wanted was your neck. I've always admired that high servant, that high priest servant. Buddy, he was one quick dude. You got to be quick when that sword comes at you and you duck fast enough that it missed your head and took your ear off. It wasn't that, that wasn't Peter being a good swordsman. He wasn't aiming to take that guy's ear off. He was coming for the whole head. And the guy was quick enough that kind of wished he'd lost his head. No, I'd like for the Lord to put his head back on him. That would give me hope for some people I pastor. I said, Lord, you did it once. You can do it again. Wouldn't that be great? A little over about a week and a half ago, a man in my church has a son that lives in another city. He's either 30 or 31 years old. He's had cystic fibrosis since he was a little boy. And he was dying from, most people don't live to be 30 years old to have CF. They found a donor for lungs. That's quite a deal. I mean, God really intervened for this young man. But he drew his last breath as they rolled him in. That's how close it was. As they rolled him into the surgery. And the surgeon told us later, he said, we didn't think we could keep him alive long enough to get him hooked up to the machines. He, had, he did not have minutes to live. He, had, he didn't have seconds to live. He was down to his last second. It's amazing, but anyway, uh, they transplanted his lungs, and uh, and now he's in a regular room, and he's getting better every day. Isn't that amazing what they can do? It really is amazing. Not near as amazing how God can do heart transplants, so and change a heart of stone into a heart of flesh, and write His laws on it. Amen. But they do some pretty amazing things. But let's get back to our story here. I think you're beginning to understand, and. So, as the drama unfolds, and we can only speculate and assume, 
But I feel comfortable in saying tonight that when Peter, James, and John and some of these other guys were making their way out of there, and we know Judas had a mean streak in him. He was part of the group. I can hear them on the way back to Jacob's well. One of them is saying, you know, if that dude with that pointed beard had made one more comment, he's fixing to find out what it's like for a fisherman to get his hands around his neck. He said, I don't care how many of them there was, I was about ready to clear the deck. And I could just hear back and forth, back and forth. One, two, and on the ground, I said, can't stand those filthy dogs. Because that's what they called them. And here they are just going at it, man, upset, aggravated. I wish we'd have gone the other way. Why do we have to do this? Why do we have to put up with these kind of people? somewhere with this. Y'all going to go with me? And they come up over the, the ridge. Whoa! Read it. It's there in the fourth chapter of John. They marveled one another and said, what's going on? What's he doing talking to this woman? And when they come on up to Jesus, they decided maybe they might not ought to ask him. What does that suggest to you? In the past, they kind of asked some things that they wish they had them later because he answered them. But maybe not exactly the answer they wanted. And so anyway, they come up and they offered him food to eat. And he said, I'm not hungry. You're not hungry? That's why you sent us to get bread and food and cheese. He said, I have meat to eat that you know not of. And they said, said, we want to know, did somebody bring him some food? What's what's going on here? In the meantime, you know that Jesus had met this little woman that came to the well. And he'd shared with her some things that, that she'd never been confronted with before. He even brought her to acknowledging her need. I won't go into all the discussion that went back and forth, but you know how that she said, Sir, uh, uh, I don't have a husband. The Lord said, You're right, but you've had five, but you're living with somebody else's man right now. And she was amazed, and, and he told her about living water, and she said, Sir, give me this water that I could drink and never thirst again. And when it was all said and done, she took off. I want, you, I want you to look at the difference here. Jesus never told her to go tell everybody else what she just learned. She said, truly, you're the Messiah. And then she took off for town. Amen. Where was she going? She got a revelation. What was she going to do with that revelation? She's going to tell somebody else about it. Her family needed this revelation. Her neighbors needed this revelation. Amen. Strangers on the street needed this revelation. And she went running into the city and said, Come see a man that told me everything that I've ever done. Truly, this is the Messiah. But the disciples are 
they're kind of confused about everything that's going on. And while they're standing there, you know, uh, discussing. Now, we don't know everything Jesus said. We don't know everything they said. But we know the main things that were said. But here comes the whole city. And I'm sure Jesus is standing here. Disciples are standing here. And he can see what they can't see. Because they're facing in the opposite direction. He's talking to them. They're talking to him. And he sees the whole city coming out. And he said, I want to ask you guys a question. No doubt this was in the springtime, early spring. And he said, as they're looking around them, the agriculture, the fields, the harvest and all, outside the wall of the city, very typical in that day and time. He said, don't you say that it'll be four months until the harvest time? Sure. He said, I say unto you, Lift up your eyes. The lifting up of the eyes literally means just change your perspective. Amen. It means, it really means to get a revelation. Lift up your eyes. You're looking, but you're not really seeing. It's like somebody hearing, but not really hearing. Hearing, but not understanding. Amen. You're hearing the audible sounds, and your and your brain is is forming speech out of it. But you're not really focusing. You're not really concentrating. You're not really understanding and taking it in. It's not really affecting you. And the same thing can happen with your eyes. Jesus spoke of those that can see, but they see not, and hear, but they hear not. And so uh, they, 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 they're just confused. He said, I send you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white, all ready to harvest. And here they come. Here they come. And they turn and they see what's going on, what's going on. And Jesus said, now didn't, didn't we just see a little bit earlier that he told them to go get something to eat? Is that right? But you know what? He, he rebukes him. He speaks to him in a rebuking tone. And he says, I sent you to reap wherein you had not sowed. Could it be that when you go to the grocery store, God sent you there to reap a hungry heart? I'm going to the store. There might be a Samaritan moment there that wants to know about Jesus. We spend way too much time pre-qualifying who wants to be saved and who doesn't want to be saved. And I've worked against that for years and years and years. And on the 30th of December of 2011, relatively young man in my church, 42 years of age, most of you folks, I'm sure knows about some of the things my wife and I have been through, the losses we've had. December the 30th, 2010, my wife discovered my son in the floor of his home. He just lives a short distance from him. Dead, 36 years of age. That was the 30th of December, 2010. When a year later, December the 30th approached. My wife and I were dreading the anniversary.
first room of our son's death. We talked about it for a few days. We decided we was going to try to stay busy and do some things, you know, and kind of keep our mind off of it. And before daylight, just at daylight was beginning to dawn, around daylight, we received a phone call. And phones on my wife's side of the bed, she picked it up. And a woman in a hysterical voice said, He's gone! He's gone! He's gone! He's not with us! He's not with us! My wife said, Who is this? This is Rebecca Blackshire. Who's not with us? Daniel, he's gone! He's not with us! Daniel was her husband, 42 years of age. And as we realized, he's down, he's not responding. I leaped out of bed, I rushed to my closet, grabbed some clothes on, and hurriedly ran out the door, got in my car, and they lived not all that far from me, about a mile and a half away. I got over there, and the first responders were not there yet. And there was Daniel. Boy, I prayed through when he was about 18 or 19 years old. Now he's 42 years old, just turned 42. Married a girl in the church, got two children. Best soul winner I've ever had. Daniel won more people to God while he was a member of my church, single-handedly, than all the rest of my church put together. One man. I showed you that he wasn't a real talented guy, and you'd have never believed if I could have introduced you to Daniel, and he started talking your ear off, you could never believe that he could do it. I'm telling you, he did it. There was hundreds and hundreds of people. There's a thousand people at his funeral. He worked for the sheriff's department and, and as a as a jailer and it's a big, big county, you know, second largest county in Oklahoma. And the sheriff was there and the undersheriff and all the big top echelon and close to a hundred of his fellow employees came to his funeral. And when I asked that day, how many here has Daniel ever shared his testimony and talked to you about the Lord? Would you please raise your hand? Hundreds of hands were raised. One man. I tell you, I feel like God's wanting to talk to this church here tonight. You don't know what the power of one person, just one person, just one person. There's many, many people in my church living for God as a result of Daniel's testimony. Daniel wanted him to God. He worked on one job, and uh, I don't know how many men and their families that he wanted to God from uh, this uh, land where they made uh, cardboard boxes that he won to God from that place. Amazing testimony, amazing life. I got over there, you know, and we do the CPR and on and on and on. We did too good a job, I guess, because we kept, got his heart going, kept it going. But it was an ordeal. They took him one hospital, then another hospital. 26 hours later, his wife had to make the decision to turn off the machine. Daniel had a brother a few years younger than him. And, uh, Lord, can I, just, can I just back up and take a little time here? I feel, I feel like digressing here just a little bit. Daniel's mama was uh, a gambling addict. She had an addiction to gambling, gaming. Her husband owned a diesel shop, made good money, and he's spoiled and rotten and, and uh, Kathy just uh, she just 
was at the bingo, or, or they, they started out bingo, then it turned into just regular casinos. It was a lost change. She was there every day, every day. And, uh, and she smoked, and she was a mean-mouthed person. Boy, she could cuss you out in a heartbeat, and uh, she was tough cookie. And, and Daniel, I'm coming in time and time for the I am so burdened for my mom. I want my mom to be saved. I just believe God can save my mom. He tried to talk to his mom, and she'd get mad at him and tell him to get out of the house. Hate you. Don't want to see you again. Don't you ever come back. And he wouldn't for a week, maybe. And uh, he just kept on, kept on, kept on, kept on, kept on. The day came that his mama came to church, and she repented of her sins, received the Holy Ghost, got baptized in Jesus' name, and it was so exciting. But then she had a, she had had heart trouble, and this is partly what softened her up. She had had several bypasses. And then after she prayed through, she kind of come good for a little while, not very long. And then she started dropping out a little bit. She's back down at the casino. And this went on and on and on. She had another flare-up, God spare her. And Daniel came to me and he said, Brother Howard, if my mama dies lost, I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can stand it. I'm so burdened for my mama. And he kept on about that. And I was I was out of the country. I was preaching over in, in the Philippines, Cambodia, some places over in Asia there on a missions trip. And I got the call, and here's what happened. Oh, I'm telling you, you just don't realize. This, this, this is not a, a big, out front, talented, whatever guy. You understand what I'm saying? Just an average, normal guy and had a burden for souls. He had a revelation of harvest. He got his mama to come to church on Sunday. I wasn't there, but they told me I had a good service, good altar call. She came down front and she prayed and prayed and, and God blessed her and God renewed her and she was talking in tongues and praising God talking in tongues and practically drunk in the spirit. She was out of it for a good period of time. And she was the last one to quit praying. And then they stood around, got in the car with her husband. He started driving off and he didn't even get off the church parking lot until she had a major heart attack and died right there. He pulled right back around and up under the she was gone out into eternity. Isn't God merciful? Isn't the Lord wonderful? That right there, in the last few minutes of her life, she didn't know it was. But in sincerity, she reached out to God, and God responded to her. Amen. So that's the young man I'm talking about. And so he had a brother there, and his brother's never come to church. During this, you know, I, I thought back, I thought, maybe, maybe we shouldn't have It'd been better if he just went ahead. He was gone. He'd just been better. This is a horrible ordeal, people. I don't, I don't want to go into all the details, but they had 18 bags of fluids going into him at one time. They put a, they put a line into the femoral artery there, as big around as my little finger. And they put cups around plasma and blood. 
drugs and medications that you pump up, just like a blood pressure cuff. And they were flooding him with meds. There's certain meds that they will give people, uh, and 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 the, and the most that they ever give. The head nurse of the of the floor told me this was four times the recommended maximum dose, and they gave Daniel eight times. They went. I'm telling you, it was heroic measures they went to. He. They pumped so much fluid in him, he was blown up like a balloon. And after, they could never get his body to return even close to normal size. He, he was so, couldn't even hardly recognize him because he was not swollen, but pumped up from all these fluids. So that's that was a bad, 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 bad experience. Daniel's brother and his wife, and their two children was there. And uh, during this time, go in and pray for Daniel, pray for his family, he was there with him, on and on and on and on, and we made a connection with Daniel's brother and sister-in-law, and he prayed for him, he was really wanting to see them saved, and so, that Sunday, he died, he was pronounced dead on the 31st, which is a Saturday, and so, Sunday, January the 1st, 2012, we hadn't had the funeral yet. Here's Daniel's brother and sister-in-law and two children. Now, I didn't forget what I'm talking about. I'm talking about we pre-qualified too many people. Now, Daniel's sister-in-law, her name is Jenny. I'm not going to, I'm just going to say this, and you all will catch on to what I'm saying. I looked at how she presented herself and what seemed to be the kind of attitude that she had and and the way she was dressed or maybe I should say wasn't dressed and everything else and I said you know Jenny's probably going to be the one that holds back and she did until the following Wednesday she came to the altar and I mean I've never seen anybody in years that's ready to change and live for God as Jenny was I mean she's on fire for God she's got the Holy Ghost she looked like she'd been an apostolic all of her life less than a week after Daniel died she didn't know anything about God she didn't know anything. she was raised in a horrible horrible situation but she was hungry for God you see, I've been preaching 45 years. I can usually tell if people are sincere or this and that and the other, but I was wrong. I was judging by what I saw. Amen. But I couldn't see the woman's heart. She had such a hunger and desire to live for God, and she's living for God tonight. And I thank God for that. Praise God. There's people you know tonight. There's people you know that's hungry for God, and you don't even have a clue they are. But if you'll let the Spirit of God direct you, if you'll 
Lift up your eyes and look on the field. If you get a revelation of harvest, amen, God's going to open a door. God's going to give you an opportunity. You're going to seize an opportunity. And you're going to talk to them. And they're going to respond because they want, they want God. They need God. They're ready for a change. I went by. I went by her husband's business uh, a few days ago, and and uh, he hasn't even he hasn't even come to the altar yet. He's one of them guys. He's analyzing everything. Good guy, and he's made a lot of changes. And he told me he's excited about the changes that's happened in their life, and and he's so thrilled about his wife. He said, "I'm living with a new woman. Said she's much much improved from what she used to be." And told me, maybe, hey, Amen. <laughs> Have faith. <laughs> Pray. <laughs> God can do miracles. God can do things you can't do. Amen. <laughs> but anyway, uh, he, he, was, he was telling me about all of that. And, and then he said, you know, listen to this. He said, we had been talking for a good while that we needed to change our life. And we need to get in church. And we really was wanting to do that. But we just hadn't done it yet. Look, there's somebody you know tonight. They're wanting to change. They're wanting God in their life. But if you don't get to them, somebody will that doesn't have the truth. But I want you I want you to get this. Jesus said. I sent you to reap. And you didn't witness to one person. I sent you to evangelize. You never talked to one person about me. And this one little woman was so hungry. And when you, I first spoke to her, she was resistant. When I first spoke to her, she was insulting. When I first spoke to her, she was she was defensive and she was angry and she was hateful. But he said, I sensed that there was hunger in that heart. Oh, hallelujah. Amen. I'm telling you, Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer. Praise God. We have several outreaches and daughter works and and uh, we have a we have a Spanish speaking congregation, and uh, they have about oh around eighty or ninety members, and sometimes they run over a hundred and they're jammed into a little bitty building. It's about this wide right here, about maybe this long, except it's not all in one continuous rectangle. It's kind of offset part of it, and they're jammed in there. And, and uh, long story short. I got a phone call from a banker friend of mine, and he said, Pastor, he said, are you still, do you have, do, have you found a building yet for your Spanish congregation? I said, no, I haven't. He said, well, I might, I might uh, uh, be getting something here you might be interested in. And he said, uh, I'm doing this acquisition, and they're looking at it, and if I go through with it, he said, I may get a building, and, and I may get it uh, right where I could just donate it to you if you would be interested in it. That's talking my language. <laughs> and so, anyway, 
I said, well, sure, I'd be interested in dating. What you got? And he said, well, you got any time loose this week? I said, well, actually, I, I, I'm free today. I, I mean, my schedule's flexible. And he, he said, well, could you come by now? I said, sure. So I ran by. And uh, he's not just president of the bank. He owns two banks. So anyway, uh, I, I got in a vehicle with him. Went over to the north side. There's a real nice bank down there. And it was open. And he took me through there. And I saw everything. The bank president's office. And we, we, we went to the whole bank. 10,000 square feet, beautiful brick building right on a major thoroughfare. Just, you can stand in front and you can see the expressway up there that ties it to all the rest of the city. And uh, four lanes in front of it, not divided, but four lanes going by in front of it. Park DHS on one side and Tulsa Technology School on the other side of it. And uh, long story short, he did the acquisition and, uh, and he sold me the building. It's got a little tax deal for one dollar and so when we were having the signing you know the news media got a hold of it and so uh, we kind of had a stage deal you know we went out to the bank and, and uh, he's signing this over to me but I pay the dollar well I like two dollar bills and I've got a little stash of them that I collect and I give them you know to kids and whatever just something special something a little different. I mean, it's no big deal. It's worth $2, but anyway, it's, it's pretty neat. I like it. It's neat. I think it's cool. I like $2 bills, but don't give me no $3 bills. <laughs> I ain't taking your $3 bills. You know, that's weird. <laughs> but anyway, anyway, they had three TV stations out there. So when it was time to pay, I handed him a crisp $2 bill. He said, what's the $2 for? I said, well, I was hoping you might have another building I could buy. what I set out to preach tonight exactly, but I think I preached what God wanted me to preach. Amen. I am of the opinion that too much of the time, 
attitude toward sinners is not exactly what it ought to be. I'm disgusted with some of the things I see people doing in the world. I'm disgusted with the way they act, the way they live. I'm disgusted with their perversion. I'm disgusted with their immorality. I'm disgusted. I could go on and on and on and on. I don't like their filthy, vile rap music. There's so many things the world is doing that as a child of God that understands what God wants us to be. It's hard for me to stomach it. But people get disgust with the sin they're in cannot be translated as an attitude toward them. Because Paul said, such were some of you. We forget where God brought us from. Amen. We need to realize that just like you had a hunger and a desire in your heart to live for God and be saved, there's countless thousands of others walking up and down the streets of this city and this area that wants the same thing that you wanted. And I'm telling you, the same answer, the same one that helped you wants to help them. Amen. But we got to lift up our eyes and look on the fields. Where do you have an eye to go to the restaurant? Amen. Or stop by the convenience store. Hey, lift up your eyes. There may just be somebody right there, amen, that you can just speak to. You can give them an invitation. You can hand them a church card. Amen. You gotta sow some seed. You're gonna have a harvest. Uh, this is the last thing I'm gonna tell you. I think. Please stand. Some time ago, probably been close to a year ago now, not quite, but almost a year ago. My wife and I went into a restaurant, an IHOP restaurant, one night after church, and it's straight down the road from our church, about two miles. Went in there, and we sat down, and the waitress came up to our table, and she said, well, how are you doing, Pastor Howard? And I said, well, I'm doing quite well. How are you doing? She said, I'm doing good. I said, I apologize if we've met before, but I don't She said, no, we haven't. And I said, well, how did you know who it was? You know, I would think she'd been watching my TV show or anything. She didn't seem like the type. And uh, and said, well, I guess I ought to know who you are. And she reached into the pocket of her apron, and she pulled out about four of our church invitation cards and on the back of it is my picture and she said I've got a whole stack of these at home she said I guess I ought to know who you are I wish I could tell you she's come to church she said she would but she hasn't but I still believe she will why because she's going to wake up one morning and say I'm tired 
of this life that I'm living in. Those people from the Lighthouse Church were so kind and nice. They've invited me again and again and again. I believe they could help me find what I need. How many of you believe Jesus is the answer? Hallelujah. How many of you want to revelate to the harvest? Hallelujah. If we go through life, our normal routine, going to work, going to school. Amen. Stop up by the babysitter. Go to the grocery store. Go by the cleaners. Hallelujah. Taking the poodle to get his hair curled. Whatever. Lift up your eyes. Get a new perspective. Get a revelation. Let's get rid of that whole attitude that nobody wants to live for God. That's a lie from the pits of hell. Amen. In the last six months, seven months of my life, I have seen more people hungry for God than I have seen or met in my any other time in my entire life. I'm telling you, people are stirred. People are concerned about what's going on in the world that we live in. Amen. People realize that things are changing, and they're worried, and they're scared, and they're beginning to realize what we've been doing is not working. We need something real. We need God in our life. Amen. They're out there. They're out there. But you're going to have to change your attitude. You're going to have to lift up your eyes. You're going to have to be spiritually sensitive. You're going to have to get a board. You're going to have to realize. Amen. That with a revelation comes a call to evangelism. Let's love the Lord together right now. Thank you, Jesus.